just want to take this opportunity just to welcome you again to the Meeting Place Church. My name's Gord Wilson. Uh, I actually lead the youth group here at the Meeting Place. Uh, and in case you guys are wondering, this is the second time uh, that I have preached up here. So a little bit nervous. If I look a little bleary-eyed, I definitely didn't get uh, a huge amount of sleep last night. I was kind of nervous and freaking out. That's all right. We'll make it through. I feel pretty good now, so I think we'll be, we'll be all right. Um, so just to kind of give you guys a bit of a summary of what we've been doing, where we've been at, uh, I'm going to be continuing on. We're doing a study of the book of Galatians, um, which is in the New Testament in the Bible. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in, in uh, Galatia. Uh, and actually, it's a bit of a, a, a letter of correction. Um, so we're going to be looking at that. We've been doing a study for the last couple months on it. Um, and so we're going to be kind of looking, uh, just to kind of give you a capsule summary of where we've come so far. Uh, we were looking at kind of the context of what's going on uh, in this letter. Is we actually had, uh, you know, Paul comes and plants this church. It's nice, great, healthy. They've got really great doctrine. They've got, uh, you know, just a, a really good grace foundation. Um, and then suddenly you have these false teachers after Paul leaves who start to come in. Uh, and, you know, well-intentioned, but uh, trying to add uh, to the gospel, to the good news. So no longer is it just believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, uh, and repent. But now it's, well, that, and also, you know, be circumcised, and, you know, follow the law, and, uh, you know, do all these crazy Jewish customs, watch what you eat, all right? And so um, Paul hears about this, and he's pretty upset. He's really not digging it. Um, And so uh, he writes to them, and uh, his tone is a bit harsh. Uh, And so we've just been kind of looking... Uh, just at, at that. And so I'm going to be continuing on today uh, in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, and uh, we're going to be doing verses 1 through 15. Uh, if you guys are interested in like, you know, kind of snappy title for the sermon, uh, the one I went with for today is, uh, it was for freedom, you've been set free. So actually just the first verse uh, in, in the passage. Uh, and if you're like me, you hear that the first time. I heard that, you know, like a year ago, and it took a year because I'm a bit slow sometimes for this to really sink in. Uh, it took a year for me to, to hear that and not think, well, duh, it was for freedom that you're set free. Duh. That sounds really just obvious, right? Um, but you're going to kind of see it's, it's very easy for us, uh, even though we have been set free, um, to move away from the freedom that Christ offers us, and to go back to the old way of thinking, the old way of doing things. All right, and so we're going to be kind of looking at that today. So I'm just going to uh, start us off in a prayer because honestly, if God doesn't show up and speak through me today, it's not going to be of any benefit to any of us. So uh, just going to open us up. Father, we just thank you so much, God, that uh, you do meet with your people, that you're sovereign over us. We thank you, God, that we got to worship you this morning. It was victorious. It was awesome to be with you this morning, God. You are clearly evident and present here with your people this morning, God. It's great to be with you, God. It's great to worship you together. Uh, Father, I just pray just right now, God, would you send the Holy Spirit just to power me up, God, because without you, it's not going to be fruitful for us, God. So we pray uh, for your blessing, God, for your anointing, um, and God, for your words, because you say it way better than I do. Yeah, uh, Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm just going to start, um, and I, the verses are going to come up there, and I'm just going to read from you, or for you, from Galatians chapter 5. 
Yeah, I'm going to read from you guys. Uh, so we're starting here in verse 1. It says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you who have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, uh, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision uh, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. All right, pause for a second, just to give you guys a heads up. I wasn't at first planning on doing this next little bit. It's kind of like an interjection that Paul does to the Galatians, um, and you'll see why in a second. So I just would ask you to, uh, if it wells up inside you, any immature giggles or um, uh, any gasps of shock, just hold it back. Um, <laughs> and you'll see why, what, I'm, what I'm getting at in a minute. Um, I, I had debated whether or not I was going to go with it, but uh, I refer back to it, and I think it does drive the point home. So I'm going to keep going with it. It says here in verse 7, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This uh, persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who uh, unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And there it is. Continuing on. For those, uh, or for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right, perfect. So we're going to start uh, just actually in, in verse 1. I really want to uh, focus first on what Paul is talking about when he mentions that yoke of slavery uh, that we're free from. What is it that we're actually set free from? Uh, and so uh, as we have been talking about over the last few weeks, um, the really big issue that we were seeing in the Galatian church is that they were having extra things that were tacked on to the gospel. And so in this case, what Paul's referring to is uh, the Mosaic law. So the law that was given to Moses in the Old Testament. So that would uh, include the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus um, and uh, probably kind of the classic thing that you would hear um, from that law would be like the Ten Commandments. You know, they have that really classic movie with Charleston Heston who's really old now and loves guns. Um, so that's kind of what we're getting at, right? It's like this idea of like the Ten Commandments sort of thing. It's this law uh, that was actually given to God's people, the Israelites, uh, in the Old Testament as kind of a way for them to live. All right. Um, and so, first of all, just uh, looking at what exactly it was that the law was there to do, it was, in many ways, uh, a guidebook to how to live uh, and a measure of our justification before God. So, essentially, it was kind of a pointer as to how uh, well we were doing in God's sight. Okay, so this is, this is what the law actually did for us. It was a standard for our legal standing, okay? And so when we talk about being justified, it means living by the law. That shouldn't come as too much of a surprise because we live, you know, in Canada where we have a law uh, and we do stand, you know, justified before the law. When we're not doing anything that's against the law, um, you know, we're, we're fine, we're justified. And then when we're breaking the law, 
you know, that's when consequences come in. That's when we're not justified. That's when um, the police might have to get involved. You might have to go to court, that sort of thing, okay? So this is, uh, this is kind of what we're, what we're getting at, uh, here with the law. Um, and it's important to note kind of two things uh, about the law. First of all, uh, wherever you are, whatever nation you're in, you're subject to the law of that nation. So uh, here in Canada, we're subject to Canadian law. Uh, so what that would mean is, say, a Brit comes over from uh, Europe, uh, or not that that's terribly surprising in, in our church. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we're like 30% Brits. You will hear an English accent if you're listening for it. Um, and they decide, you know what, I'm going to drive on the left side of the road in Canada. That's not going to fly, because the law here is that we drive on the right side of the road. And so we are under the law of whatever nation it is that we're in. Second point, um, we can't really decide to pick and choose what parts of the law it is that we actually want to follow. Okay? It's not up to us. The law is set down, and we have to follow the whole thing. Um, so, for example, let's say I am really late for uh, an appointment, and man, I just really need to get there, and I'm in a 50 zone, but, you know, I decide, yeah, maximum 50 doesn't really apply to me right now. I'm actually going to go 80, 90, maybe 100. Um, well, uh, if I get stopped by the police and uh, I then give them an excuse, I'm like, well, you know, I, I just didn't think I really need to follow that. It doesn't really apply to me because I have this other engagement. I have to go. So obviously the law not important for me right now. Uh, the police officer is going to get a very exasperated look on his face. He's going to shake his head, and he's going to give you the maximum fine that he possibly can, right? So uh, it doesn't work for us. We can't just decide we're going to pick and choose the parts of the law that we're going to follow. All right? And so this is kind of what Paul is getting at um, when he says in verse 2, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify, again, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Okay, so um, circumcision was kind of like a big issue in the Galatian church. It was something that all the, all the church leaders were making uh, new converts do. Um, and the issue that Paul's getting at here is not circumcision specifically, okay, although it was an issue that they were saying this is a requirement for people who are coming in. Uh, it's this idea that now... Um, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus that we sang about so much this morning that Jesus came and died for our sins and it's our faith in him that saves us, um, that was not enough for them, okay? It was the gospel of Jesus and law, the gospel of Jesus and circumcision, and that was not going to fly for Paul, all right? So this is kind of what he's getting at, uh, is that, you know, if you're going to take up part of the law, then you need to take up the whole thing. If you think you're going to try and justify yourself before God with part of the law, you need to take the whole thing. Uh, right, and so, um, you know, there's a bit of an issue with this. Um, so when we look over, say, the Ten Commandments, um, here's a few. Uh, do not lie. I've lied. All right, I'm guilty of that. Do not steal. Yep, I've done that before. Does, I, th I think it counts if you just take a dollar forty from your sister I mean, for bus fare, uh, you don't tell her. I think that still counts, unfortunately. Um, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Sometimes when I'm angry, uh, honor your father and mother. My mother's here. She'll testify. You know, I do honor her, and I love her most of the time. Um, so guilty on that count. Do not have 
other gods besides me. I love God, but if I'm honest, sometimes he's not my top priority. Sometimes I fall into laziness. Sometimes I'm just a big fool. You know what I mean? I don't put him first. Guilty there. Sometimes I have other gods besides God, some things that I put as a, a priority above him. Guilty, 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 guilty. Okay, so that's five out of the Ten Commandments. And I did say that actually the law wasn't just the Ten Commandments even, but actually it's another two books <laughs> of the Bible. So you've got a whole lot there to encompass, and that's we have to follow all of that. Um, so there's a bit of a problem there. Um, I would be very impressed if when I named just even those five commandments from the Ten Commandments, if someone in here could raise their hand and say, yeah, I've done that all the time. I would be so impressed. I don't think anyone in here would be able to do that. All right? there's, a, there's a problem here. We can't uh, be justified under the law. Right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. He even says that right in the Bible, Romans 3.23. Um, trying to live under the law is a terrible yoke. Trying to, to, to do it all ourselves, it's a terrible yoke. It's something we can't actually do on our own. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. It's going to break us. It's within our very nature to be rebellious towards God. That's what we're getting out of this. It's like all of us can you know, list off those, those lists of, com- of, of commandments, those lists of laws, and say, yeah, I've failed somewhere. It's in our very nature to be rebellious towards God. And um, I'm not trying to get too serious here or hit home too hard, but just in thinking about this, I guess the, the kind of the story that was really brought to mind was that shooting recently in Denver, Colorado. And, um, you know, 12 people killed. And really for no other purpose than to see chaos, to see suffering, to see hurt, to see damage done. It's like, you look at that, and you recognize there's something wrong. There's a problem. Actually, we can take a high view of mankind, we can take a high view of our nature, but it doesn't fit with what we see. And uh, many of us might want to try and kind of distance ourselves from that. It's like, oh, that's one guy, but I'm not, well, I would never go and do that. And that, you know, that might be true. But I think we recognize that actually in our hearts, there is some aspect of that. Right? We might be better socialized. We might have kind of a better you know, set of strict kind of like regulations on, oh, okay, I, couldn't, I would never do that, and that's horrible. But um, I don't think any of us would be able to honestly say uh, that there hasn't been a time when we have uh, put ourselves above others, that we've tried to climb over people to make ourselves look good, that we've actually <laughs> scrambled over. It's like that chain, you know, like the business chain, like climbing over other people just to get to the top, Right? I don't think any of us can really say that we stand completely free of that, that we've never worked for selfish motivation and selfish gain, that we've tried to outstatus someone, even our close friends, right? There's a root of selfishness and self-focus in us, and it's a problem. We're in bondage to it. Now, just reading from Ephesians 2, it actually describes this. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. What that's telling us, if we try and live by the law, game over. 
children of wrath. We're under God's wrath. We're under his judgment, all right? Our pleas of, oh, well, I did my best, and I worked really hard, and, you know, I was nice to these people, and I served here, and I gave this, that is actually not going to mean anything uh, when it comes down to it, all right? Because it means about as much as when we come before the policeman and say, look, I had, you know, these engagements, and I, you know, I had to go fast because I had to make it to work on time, and I, you, you can excuse me from that part of the law. No, it doesn't work that way. Justice demands a price, and we believe that God is perfectly just. When we do wrong, when we sin, there needs to be a consequence. That is the truth. And so for those under God's wrath, what can it be but utter death? That seems, I think, a bit too much as a punishment for our sin against God, our turning away. I think we really need to take a bigger view of God's majesty, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who spread out the skies, everything. He can, he can count the stars. He knows how many stars there are. He knows how many hairs there are. How wise and wonderful and amazing is that God who created everything. He alone is uncreated. If we take everything, all the planets, all the stars, you know, all the animals and fish and matter and humans, if we lump all of that together, we still don't have the worth of God. So when we sin, when we do wrong, we're turning against one who's that precious. That's the truth of sin. And that's why we can't live under law. That's why it's not going to work for us. Because under law, we stand condemned. But hallelujah that we've been singing all morning. We've been worshiping all morning because there's a new way, a better way, a different way. And that's the grace that we've been celebrating. That's God's grace. For the punishment... We deserved for all our selfishness, there's Jesus. Jesus, God's son, came down, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law perfectly, and then took on all of our sin. When he died on the cross, taking on all of our sin. Okay? He goes to the cross, he dies, and he pays the penalty. He pays the price. Okay? If you think about it, he's taking on thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people's deserved sin and death. That is a harsh punishment for one who did nothing. That is a harsh thing. When we read, you know, when he dies on the cross and he cries, he's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like, you know, Jesus, who (laughs) lived a perfect life, he kind of, it seems, got the short end of the stick. Of course, The great thing is that the story doesn't end there, does it? Because the verse in Ephesians goes on. It says, but God, rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we deserved death because of our turning against God, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by God's grace, which means that it wasn't anything that we had to do, but it was all a gift from God. You have been saved, and you've been raised up with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places. So that's with Jesus. It's our faith. It's our trust. Our belief in Christ that saves us. That's our faith. When we put our faith in Christ, our, our sin, our punishment, it's put on him, and he, he takes it away. It's amazing. It's a wonderful gift of, uh, of righteousness that God gives us that, you know, even though we didn't deserve it, 
the punishment that we, that we did deserve actually gets put on to Jesus. Amazing. And it's through faith alone that God declares that righteousness for us. That's what we've been talking about the last you know, month. Adam Langell bringing that really well. It's faith alone uh, that we get our righteousness. So Jesus takes on that sin, and hallelujah, is raised again three days later. And when it talks about us being raised again with Christ, that's the image. It's that Christ comes back, defeats death, takes away the sin, and now comes and reigns over all the earth. And actually, we get to share in that. Amazing. What wonderful truth. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it falls to us that we can't live under the law even now. We need to be constantly seeking to live in grace, to live in God's gift of salvation. Not seeking to do it ourselves, not seeking to actually uh, become righteous by our own striving. We need to constantly be coming back to God and saying, look, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I need you to be the one who does this. It's only through grace that we can be saved. It's only through God's loving grace. And this is why Paul is so emphatically against the legalism in Galatians. It leads to death. It leads to utter death. It's why he goes on to exhort them. And uh, uh, even, uh, you know, when it says he wishes, uh, you know, that the ones who are unsettling them, that they would be, you know, if they're calling them to do circumcision, he kind of wants them to go all the way and emasculate themselves. It's like, that's intense. That is an intense thing to wish on something, but it tells us how important it is that we not be reverting to legalism, that we not be reverting to law for our righteousness. We need to constantly be seeking God for his grace. If we want to live righteous lives, it needs to be through the grace of God. Apart from it, we stand condemned. All right, we're going to move on. And I just want to continue in Galatians uh, reading uh, verse 5 and 6 here. Um, And so we've got continued good news here. I know it's been a little bit heavy now, but actually we get to celebrate, which is awesome. It says, for through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. For you are called to freedom, um, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you, dev- if, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right? So um, what we're seeing here is that our faith is what secures us a hope of righteousness. So first of all, it secures us our righteousness. That's how we come before God and we're declared worthy and spotless and blameless just as Jesus lived out a worthy, spotless, blameless life. But it doesn't make sense to say that we get that righteousness when we have faith but then also have a hope of righteousness because hope seems to imply that there's kind of like a movement towards something. So actually here, when Paul's talking about righteousness, it's a different kind of righteousness, a different meaning. We're talking about something a little bit different, all right? And this is uh, kind of where the process of what we call sanctification comes in. This is how actually God transforms us and makes us into new creations, all right? Uh, And so this is a, a wonderful process, actually empowered, says right in, Uh, verse 5, that it's through the Spirit, that it's the Holy Spirit 
who actually comes and counsels us. He teaches us. Um, he uh, comforts us. He's the one who reminds us of our sonship, uh, of what it means to be part of God's family. He comes, and he is the one who does the work. Again, we're seeing here, it's not us. It's not our work. It's God's work. Even, even our sanctification, even as we come to become you know, more like Christ, changed, transformed, it's God's work. He works within us. He empowers us to do it. And when God sends the Holy Spirit, he's sending part of the Trinity. He's sending God. So we better believe that it's going to get done. (laughs) You better believe that if he's sending the Holy Spirit to be the one to empower you, the one to transform you, the one to change you, it's going to get done. You can have faith in that. You can put your feet down in that. If God is coming and doing it and helping you himself, that is something that you can trust in. That is something you can have faith in. He is going to continue that good work into the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's awesome. So in that, uh, we need to recognize that, yeah, we do want to press on. We want to press on being filled with the Holy Spirit, not returning to our old sinful ways, not returning to the ways we used to live, not returning to the law, okay? Why would we want to do that, all right? We tasted of the law. We saw that we weren't able to do it. We saw that under the law, it was just death. That's all there was for us, all right? It's like when we turn back to the law or when we turn back to the old way of who we are, what we used to be, when we turn back to that, we turn away from the transformation that God is doing in us, it's like there's this wonderful, sumptuous, delicious feast in front of us. You've got like all sorts of meat and bread and like delicious fruit and, and desserts. It's wonderful. It's this wonderful feast. And you're like, yeah, okay. It's like the grace of God. Yeah, it looks delicious. And then you turn and there's this bowl of stale, little moldy, uh, pretty watery, just gruel, you know, oatmeal. It's like, Do you want that, really? Because that is what the law is to us now. The grace of God is like that wonderful feast that's set out before us. The law is disgusting porridge that's old. The cat's been in it, probably licked it. You don't want that, right? It's not good. We know it's not good, all right? So, um, yeah, we we absolutely don't want to be... going back to that. We want to be seeking uh, God's grace continually, recognizing him as the workman who's constantly working within us, all right? Um, And we cannot be uh, using our freedom that we've received now that we're in grace. We can't be using that to go back into bondage. We want to take hold of the fullness of it. We want to take hold of of all of uh, the things that God has to offer us. Because I don't know about you guys, there have definitely been times, even, you know, after I've been saved, where I've I've fallen, and I've kind of gone back to my old way and said, you know, this is the way I used to do things. Like, this is how how I am. This is what I do. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I get really lazy. That happens sometimes, believe it or not. It might surprise you. No. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, I just spend, whatever, a few days, and I'm not in the Word, and I'm not praying, and I'm really just not focused at all on God. Well, how do I feel at the end of that period? like crap, because I tasted of the feast, and I've gone back to the porridge. It's not filling me up. It's not satisfying me. It's not going to. 
right? I've tasted and seen that God is good. I need more of that. Once you've tasted and seen, you need to get back in, man. You can't, you can't evade the feast. It draws you in. It's delicious. It is so pleasant. That is God's grace to us. So wonderful that we get to enjoy it. Amazing that God gives it to us. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, we can't return to rules, regulations, self-gratification. It's not for us. Instead, we need to throw ourselves fully into encountering our God, into encountering the divine, our God, who gives us such great pleasure, who we can take our joy in. I just want to take a second. I'm just going to, I guess, give you guys a bit of a testimony from my own life. Um, Just as I was preparing this week, John and I were kind of praying together, and he actually was encouraging me just to kind of throw something of, of kind of my testimony into this. And I was thinking about it, and there didn't really seem to be a lot that was appropriate, but uh, this kind of came to me, this kind of the story. Um, and I kind of drew a parallel between Paul and I, um, and not in a good way. So, um, yeah, exactly. So we look at Paul. Who is Paul? He, when he started out as Saul, uh, he was this guy who was like, declared righteous by the Jewish law. He, like, kept everything, and he, uh, you know, went out, and, like, he was so zealous, he persecuted Christians. He pulled them out of their house. He he killed them. He oversaw the killing of Christians. Um, Right? That was who he was. He opposed the church to its face. Um, And I started to think about myself and where I was before I came to know Christ. And actually, um, Many of you probably do know a little bit about my testimony. Some of you might not. Actually, I used to be in opposition to God. I used to be that person who, you know, was keeping laws. I was, you know, a very moral young man in high school. I was, yeah, I was leading the way, and I was a great leader in my classroom and, you know, involved in student representative council. Um, and, you know, my mom would have said I was a very good boy. <laughs> that, uh, well, most of the time, right? Um, that... I mean, that's who I was. It's similar to Paul, right? He had all those qualifications. And yet, there was within me just an unsettlement that I knew something was not quite right. (laughs) I wasn't really satisfied in it. And um, I I used to actually persecute Christians as well. And uh, this is kind of, this is a little personal um, and a little tough to talk about, but uh, I remember actually a few years ago, I met someone who I used to be friends with in high school, and this was after I became a Christian, and chatting with her, and she was so surprised to hear that I was with the church. Uh, and what she said to me was, actually, you were the reason I stopped even thinking any of that was at all reasonable, right? So Paul was killing Christians. In a very real way, I was killing Christians or t- trying to as well. Now, I don't stand condemned because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if I'm honest, that does, it hurts that that was me, that that was my old identity. I was very much like Paul. So I stand with Paul in saying that I am less than the least of all God's people. And yet, despite that, The freedom that God has given to me is expressed in many great promises. I'm just going to read a couple, right? And for those of you who are at Fuel, this is going to sound familiar because this is kind of what I was brought to. These are some of the promises that God has spoken to me and fulfilled. 1 Peter 1.8, unspeakable joy. 
I have unspeakable joy when I come before the Lord and I'm able to worship him. This morning, unspeakable joy. How great is our God that we get to worship him, that Jesus came and paid the full price for us. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, I have a living hope and an incredible inheritance. My hope is not dead. My God is alive. My God is active in the world today and that he's called me into sonship. One day, I'm going to get to worship him with all the heaven or with all the angels in heaven. It's going to be awesome. I'm pumped for it. I have a peace that surpasses understanding. Philippians 4, 7. Actually, when I was working on my thesis, there were a number of times when, you know, after a month of like three hours sleep a night, I'm just like, oh, this is the worst. It's just coming back, focusing on God. He gives me a peace that surpasses understanding. It's like, actually, I don't need to worry about this. I need to do my hardest. I have to work hard for my God, but he's going to provide the peace for me. A spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7. That's awesome. How many of us want a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, right? Amazing. I get to reign in life. Romans 5.17. These are promises that God has fulfilled in my life. And like I said, I am less than the least of all God's people. How much more are these available for you? How much more are these promises available to all of us? We need to be grasping hold of them. These promises are what freedom in Christ is all about. It's what our freedom from sin is all about. It's what our freedom from the flesh is all about. It's what our freedom from law is all about. It's grasping hold of these promises. As we deny ourselves, as we give God all of the glory and take up his promises, the result is going to be just this, that we're going to love our neighbors. So this is coming back, you know, verse um, 13, it says we're called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use it for yourself but through love serve one another. For the whole law uh, law is fulfilled in one word, shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as we deny ourselves, as we give ourselves fully to the glory of God, as we grow in faith and and believe in what God has promised, it inevitably leads us into a deeper wonder, into a deeper nearness with our God. And how can we do anything but serve the people around us, right? We're with our God, our God who loved us so much. And as we come uh, into his presence, as we come into nearness with him, as we come to love him, we want to be like him. We want to follow after him. We want to actually do what he does, right? You find this when people who are in love, like with, with people who are in love, you find it all the time. As they are together, they take on each other's, you know, likes and dislikes. They take it on. They grow together. They, they take things from one another with friends, You get the same thing. I would not like Dream Theater if it wasn't for John Calhoun. I pick things up. I picked up better things from him than that. (laughs) If you haven't guessed, I'm a bit of a rash person. I generally speak uh, quickly uh, without thinking sometimes, um, which is why it's kind of hilarious and ironic that they put me the week after Kevin Calhoun, who is the most (laughs) slow-speaking and just wise uh, individual so it's, it's just kind of funny that they put us one after another. Different preaching styles, right? It's great. Um, but, uh, you know, I actually like to think that I picked up part of that from John. You know, not that I've in, in any way arrived in that, but at least, you know, better than 
I used to be. We pick up things from one another. We grow uh, as we're together. So as we come and, and grow near to God, as we approach him, we get to enjoy and to grow with him, with his attributes. We want to do the things that he loves. We want to serve people the way he served us. Jesus, when he came, he washed the disciples' feet. What an amazing uh, just example of his humility that the God who created the universe came and washed humans' feet. People who had sinned against him, people who were far from him, he washed their feet. He served them. He loved them. Amazing. God proved his love uh, for mankind when he sent Jesus to die for us. So as we learn to trust and to enjoy him, the natural progression is to work towards serving each other, to serve our neighbors, to love them. We need to give ourselves wholeheartedly to it. It's not a legalism to work hard for God if we're recognizing that actually we can't do it without him. If we come humbly with a spirit of, Oh, Lord, I just want to see your glory come. I just want to see you break through in this. I want to see you break through in, you know, my friends' lives. I want to see you break through in just, yeah, having lots of students added into, you know, life groups this coming year. I want to see you break through. It's not bad. It's not a legalism to work hard and to desire that. That's not a legalism. It's not a legalism to say, you know what, God, because I love you and because I want to see your glory and because I want to encounter you, I'm going to, you know, spend, you know, half an hour in the morning meeting. That's not a legalism. If we recognize that without the power and the grace of God, it's not going to happen. If we give him all the glory, it's not legalism. That's humble submission, humble recognition of a wonderful, loving God. And so we just really just need to recognize that in all things we need to throw ourselves into being with God, the one who empowers us. He needs to be present. He needs to be alongside us if we're going to hope to succeed. And so honestly, if we're feeling like God's not with us, man, the first thing that we need to be doing is calling out and asking where he is. We need to be calling out and being like, God, look, man, we need you. <laughs> we know we can't do it on our, on our own. That's the gospel of grace, that it's not up to us. God, we need you. We need to be constantly coming back, hungry for God, and recognizing that in everything that we do, God is worth the glory of it. It's for his glory. Everything that we do needs to be offered up to him.